Welcome to Grace City. My name is Matt Briggs, and I'm the family pastor here, and we're so grateful you decided to join us online today. I think I speak for all of us when I say that 2020 has been, well, kind of a difficult year. You know, there's stronger language that we could use, but we'll just stick with that for now since this is church and all. Um, and now to cap all that off, uh, we have maybe the most contentious presidential election in U.S. history. You know, David reminded us last week that no matter what is swirling uh, politically in this world, that the Christian call to be salt and light does not change. If we lose that perspective and begin to hang our hats on the hope of political change, then we miss out on being ambassadors of Christ, which is our first and foremost calling. You know, that's good knowledge to arm ourselves with because the political system is trying to sell us day in and day out on hatred, on anxiety, on divisiveness. You know, this might be the most polarizing time in our nation's history. With what seems like everyone trying to drive a wedge between us, how do we live free of conflict with one another as good ambassadors of the light? How can we live in the unity of Christ in these politically charged times? Those are the questions that I want to answer for us today. So have your Bible or your phone. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. As you turn there or click there, let me give you some background. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. It's one of his four prison epistles, so he was indeed in jail when he wrote this. Um, Ephesians deals with topics at the very core of what it means to be a Christian, both in theology and in practice. You know, Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians discussing God's creation of the church as a community where the members have been chosen by God through the work of Christ with no distinctions between classes or backgrounds. You know, then in chapter 4, he proposes several practices those in the church should follow in their relationships with the church, in their homes, and in the world. You know, I think this is going to apply to us as we talk about these politically turbulent times it's easy to get caught up in the vitriol and forget the peace, the kindness, and the love we're called to embody. Remember, we're citizens of God's eternal kingdom first and America far second. Love of country does not equal love of God. We're citizens of God's eternal kingdom first and America second. So these instructions of Paul to the church at Ephesus ring true so clearly and they relay what a Christian is to look like as a foreigner in this world. So let's begin reading in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's a lot to unpack here in that short passage, so let's pray and then jump right in first at a time. God, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity we have to be in your word together today. God, I pray that you would speak to us and allow us to uh, let your word move and work in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So beginning in verse 1, Paul says, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You know, Paul's physical presence here is symbolic. You know, he had given up his freedom, his physical freedom, in order to follow Christ. And he's calling us to do the same. 
You know, this speaks to giving up the freedom of being your own God and living selfishly. You know, for many of us, this won't mean having to go to prison, but it does mean giving up your selfish way of life and giving your life over uh, to what God has called you to do. Verse 2, be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. After calling us to live worthy of our calling to Christ, Paul describes the character qualities of a person who lives as a prisoner of Christ. Humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. First off, humility. Uh, doesn't mean seeing yourself as some pitiful excuse for humanity or to be completely self-deprecating about who you are. Because the reality is what humility means is seeing yourself as God sees you with infinite and inherent value, but with no more value than anyone else. It means you're willing to order your life in such a way as to serve God by serving others and to see others more highly than you see yourself. Gentleness or meekness in this instance means power under control. I think we've done a good job in the church over the last several years correcting this misnomer that meekness equals weakness. No, meekness means power under control. You know, Moses was, was called the meekest man who ever lived, and yet we see him lead God's people out of Egypt and speak out against the, the greatest country in the world at the time in Egypt. His strength stood under God's control, and God has called us to do the same. So God's called us to humility. He's called us to meekness. He's called us to patience. And that's believing that God's timetable is good no matter what it is. You know, again, we see a biblical example in Abraham. Abraham received God's promise that he would have children and he would be the father of many nations, yet he was an old man and had no kids. He was well up in age before God began to deliver on the promise to Abraham. It was not in the timing that anyone thought made sense, but it was fully in God's timing. Patience is waiting for God to act when and where and how God chooses. Patience is waiting for God to act when, where, and how God chooses. This applies to this election as well. God is going to act in his own timing for his own glory. He always has, and he always will. So don't lose sight of the patience that God has called you to as he works in and through whichever candidate wins, whether it's your candidate or not. And so we're to be patient, we're to be meek, we're to be humble, and we're to bear with one another in love. You know, this is the willingness to put up with something or someone in a spirit of love, the commitment of my will to benefit someone else. You know, I think this is really where it can start to get messy for us. You know, bearing with another person is hard, especially when that other person hurts us, especially when that other person looks different than us, especially when that person votes differently than us, especially when that person has lied to us, especially when that person supports different causes than us. When we bear with one another in love, despite these differences and despite this pain that we may have caused one another, it really shows the world around us what unity is all about. You know, it's very difficult to drive a wedge into a relationship where there's genuine love that transcends all differences. Let's continue reading in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. These characteristics above that we talked about, humility, meekness, patience, and love, all help us work towards unity. 
And that unity exists in Christ and is maintained by the Holy Spirit living inside of us as believers. And so hear me out here. Our call is not to create spiritual unity by ourselves. That's not something we can manufacture. But what we are called to do is foster spiritual unity by doing our best to live in relational unity. We're to foster spiritual unity by doing our best to live in relational unity. When we live humbly, it shows others that the humility displayed by Christ for us on the cross. When we live in meekness, it shows others the power of Christ at work in us. When we live in patience, that reflects the long-suffering Christ displays with each of us. When we live in Christ-like love, differences matter so much less than the world tells us. Developing those characteristics in your relationships will foster unity even in the most divisive times. Verses 4 through 6 say this, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The church is one body. Believers may meet in many places, may speak different languages, and live in different cultures. We may have different political views, but none of this separates us. We all remain one body of Christ. As Christians, we're called to live together and go for the common goal of showing unity and witnessing the gospel to the world. But how do we do that, you might ask? We do that using our individual giftedness, working together to point others to Jesus in verses 7 through 16, which we're not going to read in its entirety, um, to summarize that, it speaks to spiritual giftedness. And it's important here because Paul is promoting the individual gifts that God has portioned out to each of us. You know, these diverse gifts make for a diverse body, Christ. Each of the parts of the body is needed to hold the whole body together in unity. For instance, good basketball teams don't usually put five guys that are seven foot tall on the court at the same time. Uh, they would get beaten by teams that put out a much more diverse skill set on the floor. You know, generally you need someone who's fast, a couple guys who can shoot, someone who can pass, and someone who's seven feet tall. You know, those teams that have more diverse skill sets often have more success. In the same way, our diverse giftings allow us to be a unified team of believers working toward the common goal of showing Christ to the world. Then in verses 17 through 24, Paul condemns going back to the way that they were before they were Christians, encouraging believers in Ephesus to put on the new self offered by Christ. And there's always that temptation to go back to our old life, to return to our sin, to return to who we were before Christ came in and changed us. But Paul encourages the believers in Ephesus there and encourages us today to not go back to that former life and keep on the new self since we have been changed by Christ. And putting on that new self consists of some very specific directives. It's in these directives that we can work towards unity that we so desperately need in these times. We'll see some of those as we pick up reading again in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Okay, let's walk through this verse at a time. Verse 25 says, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for all members of one body. First of all, we are to stop lying. You know, we're to live in radical honesty. You know, this sounds kind of like a kindergarten principle. All right, boys and girls, do not tell a lie. But really, this is something that we, we haven't mastered. We, we lie day in and day out in our lives, whether it's about little things or about big things. Hopefully, we're working towards not uh, doing that in our lives. But we have to be willing um, to be truthful with others, even uh, when that's hard. You know, when someone speaks a hard truth into my life, I know how much they love me because I know it was hard for them to say that. And so that shows love and that shows unity when we're willing to speak the truth, even when it's difficult. And in the same tone, we are not to live behind a lie. Come on and just tell the truth. Get out from behind that lie you're, you're, you're living in. That allows us to move towards unity. It allows us to move towards a life that looks more like Jesus. When we're truthful with one another in our words and our actions, it shows and fosters unity. Verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. You know, sometimes a Christian may become legitimately angry. You know, Jesus even became angry at times. We see him turning the money changers' tables over in the temple. But Jesus, in his anger, did not sin. But it's in those times when we get angry that we should not sin either. Be careful how we act, for we have no excuse to sin just because somebody made us angry. You know, we're not going to be able to be kept from being angry. If you do anything out in the world, you're going to get angry at someone driving or someone in the grocery store or, or someone at the ball field. You know, we're going to get angry. But we just have to be careful in that anger to not sin and to not fail because when we allow our anger to become sin or when we hold on to anger too long it gives our enemy a foothold to gain control of our attitudes of our actions and our relationships it gives him a foothold and it leads to more anger and more sin it's this cycle of anger and sin and anger and sin you know all you have to do these days is turn on cable news for like 30 seconds to see someone being angry and yelling at someone about something you know it could be something serious it could be something benign, but we live in a world that peddles this anger and this frustration all the time. As Christians, we're not about to be about that life of anger. Lay it down. It is not helping. Verse 28, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands as they may have something to share with those in need. You know, Christians are not to steal. We're to honestly earn our money and our ideas, and we're to use our work time wisely, not stealing time from our employers. You know, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time here. This goes back to living an honest life. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, this is another one of those kindergarten principles. You know, this is the Bible's way of saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. But it's true, though. We are to speak only words that build and encourage others up. I'm as guilty of this as anybody. 
and this one passage, if consistently obeyed, would eliminate the overwhelming majority of life's conflicts. You know, the words of a mature Christian seek to help the listener and not to harm him. You know, when we speak those words in love, when we're bearing with one another in love in our words, the unity of the body of Christ is preserved and enhanced. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The thought of that obedience to any of these commands causes the Holy Spirit who is in us as believers great and terrible distress. You know, the closest parallel may be of a parent who suffers when a child does something wrong or hurts another child. You know, and those of us that are parents know at least at some level the type of pain when our children hurt one another with their words or their actions. So how much more does it hurt God when we're hostile to one another, when we lie to one another, when we steal from one another, when we hurt one another with our words or our actions? You know, when we think about the division in the church and in the country during this political season of turmoil, that idea can sting, can it? You know, it hurts God. It hurts the Holy Spirit when we're hostile to one another. And that's online or in person because Facebook vitriol counts. You know, we're all his children, and we're all to speak kindly. We're all to love one another. We're all to tell the truth to one another because it hurts God. It hurts the heart of God when we're hostile to one another because we're all his children. No matter what background we are, no matter what we look like, no matter who we support politically, we're all God's children, and we're all deserve to be treated with the love that God has showered on each and every one of us. Verses 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Okay, so we're to lay down bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. Okay, got it. So what do we do instead? We act with kindness, with tenderheartedness, and with forgiveness. Kindness is being friendly, generous, and considerate, even to those who we don't feel like deserve it. Being tenderhearted is showing empathy to the pain and suffering of others. I think that's one of the great lessons of 2020 is being empathetic to our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer in ways that we may not have suffered. Forgiveness is letting go of the wrong that others have committed against you. Now, this doesn't mean that, you, that you're going to forget that you have to forget. But what it does mean uh, is, is letting go of that pain in your own heart. That's not yours to carry. Let God carry that pain. Forgive those who have hurt and wronged you. God's kindness, God's empathy and forgiveness on display in our lives and in a bigger sense on the cross should motivate us to show them to others. And when we do that, when we live in these principles and we live in these ideals, then the church will be built up, the people of God will be holy, and Christ's body will be unified. And guys, I, I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I'm tired of all the vitriol. I'm tired of the divisiveness on display day in and day out in our world. In the church in Ephesus, Paul saw some of that disunity and saw some of that divisiveness creeping in, and he gave them some keys to living in unity with one another. Humility, meekness, patience, honesty, not letting anger get the best of you. Don't steal, 
Speak only in love, kindness, empathy, forgiveness. And in all these ideals, be loving to a fault. So meditate on these principles and ask Jesus to work these in and through you. I know some of them may seem like such elementary principles, but they really are ways that we can show supernatural unity to the world around us. And the good news is in the Christian life that God's bucket of grace has no bottom. Every day is a new day. So if you failed in one of these areas today, you can pick it back up tomorrow and try to live to the life that Christ has called you to tomorrow. Pick one of these a day or one of them a week to practice. There's no time like today to start to work towards this Christian unity and this idea of radical love to one another. And remember, when we make the choice to abide by these principles and an abundance of love, it's really hard to be divisive, it's really hard to be petty, and it's really hard to be hostile because we have a God who loves us and gave his son for us. And when we internalize that truth and we live in that truth, we're going to show a supernatural unity to the world around us, and that will attract others to Jesus. Amen.